0: Welcome, everybody, to episode number 61 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We are back this week. We took a little bit of time off since our last episode, but hey, we both got businesses to run, so that's just the way it goes. But I want to welcome you guys back. I'm here in our virtual studio with my co-host, Steve Nassar. What's going on, Steve-o?
1: Tucker, good to be back on the show. How is your St. Patty's Day starting off for you today?
0: Well, compared to when I was 25, or I guess we'll go 10 <laughs> years back, 27, fairly uneventful so far.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you remember, I was. we were just kind of joking about that before we got on the air. Remember when we were in our 20s, how this was like a huge day, everything shuts down at at noon, and you don't wake up the following day till about 4 p.m.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, going down to Kells and, or wherever, and, you know, tying one on real good, and drinking the green beer and, you know, doing what you do when St. Patty's Day is a huge celebration. I am Irish, but, you know, life takes a hold sometimes. And, you know, these types of celebratory days maybe get pushed to the wayside a little bit as you get older.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I don't think that's a bad thing, by the
0: way. <laughs> no, I mean, I hangovers hurt a lot more these days than they used to. So, you know, probably a good thing I don't drink on school nights anymore.
1: Yeah, there was somebody the other day that was commenting on how they I think they were at their gym doing a during a workout session, and and one of the twenty-somethings was was ranting and raving about, "Is everybody ready for St. Patty's Day?" And they were like caught off guard. They're like, "St. Patty's Day? When's that?" And then, and they were kind of joking about how you know that's something that a twenty-something year old would be all highly in tune to because that's how we used to be. But yeah,
0: it's it's not my, so much anymore. My how time changes things, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. You've been surviving all this rain?
0: Oh, man. You know, this has been a particularly brutal winter. Not, you know, we had the snow. Okay. I actually like the snow, but I can understand why right. a lot of people don't because Portland just turns into a melee. But the snow aside, man, this rain has just really made me wonder why in the hell people move here like they do. It really <laughs> has. I mean, to be honest, it's it's been a pretty brutally gray, dark, dreary winter. I mean, shoot, we had a what, giant mudslide up on Burnside or whatever, which, I mean, it's rained here for years and years and years. So for a major road to have a mudslide like that, like, it's got to be a lot of rain. And I think we ended up, February was by far the rainiest February ever. March has been awesome so far as well. So, you know, it's just been one of those years, man.
1: Yeah, no, I was watching the 10 o'clock news last night, Tucker, and there's been multiple landslides. I mean, there was probably a 10-minute segment on you know they talked a lot about the burnside one but then they went up into washington i don't remember all the various locations but they showed about 4 or 5 of these and and it got me to thinking then and there i mean this is a unique year for sure there's been an exorbitant amount of rain we had all those snow events back to back to back and yeah i was talking with a fellow realtor here recently and He's up in the Washington market and we're kind of talking about business and we're talking about how, you know, and we're going to go into market action because I think this has affected it for sure. And he kind of said, he's like, man, has the weather affected you guys? Because he's like, it's not just the snow. We all knew the snow did, but it just feels like the relentless rain that we've had week after week after week really makes it hard for the early spring buyers to just get fired up and and get out there to open houses and get, get some momentum going. And I would absolutely agree with that. So... I think yeah, it's I, changing for us. I think it's changing for us under our feet currently. In fact, today and yesterday seem to be decent. Now we're finally starting to see like decent pockets of good weather. I mean, last Sunday we had one nice day, you know, bookended by just weeks of rain. I think now in the forecast, we're starting to see, you know, every other day looks to be pretty decent. So hopefully well, this is the end of it. And we start to start to get some legs on there, the market as a result of, you know, some of this crazy weather.
0: Yeah. It's amazing how different you feel when you wake up in the morning and you see a glimpse of blue sky with the sunrise, right. As opposed to just dreary wet rain, it just sets the tone for your day. So I'm looking forward to it. God, I hope we have a a nice long summer this year to make up for our incredibly wonderful winter that we've had, but I guess we can only hope so we, we shall see, but Weather aside, let's kind of segue into what's been going on with you. We haven't really had a you know one-on-one show here for a while. We've had some guests and a bunch of other stuff we talked about, but what's been going on in your world over the past few weeks?
1: Yeah, so I'm going to talk for a little while because for exactly that reason. I mean, some of this stuff isn't exactly you know happened in the last week. It could have been in the last few weeks or even a month or so. But a few things going on. On the agent side of things, as a realtor... We're actually doing part of this touches on the brokerage as well, but we're actually doing a special series this month in the month of March. Both Jeff Wyron, who is our head reviewing broker, he's our broker of record and everywhere in our RMLS, he's the one that all other principal brokers go to when there's you know a matter that warrants it with a PPG agent. Him and I are doing a special series in all the different offices, including a big one at our at our monthly sales meeting. And it's on buyer agreements, exclusive buyer agreements. And, you know, I gave a couple examples of those in that event of recent experiences, both one positive, one negative. I'll start with the negative one. About eight, and seven months ago, I was working with some clients. I may have even touched base with you. In fact, I think at one point I did, Tucker, they asked some questions about your house. And I think I reached out to you and I was asking about, you know, the house and what modifications could be made. To which You're I talking about it.
0: in in that higher end area, in between, yeah. Like, they I were Sego about coral. two
1: million. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Anyways, so I worked with these buyers for several months. You know, because it was a higher end client, I, I definitely got very involved myself, and and I was happy to. And I personally showed them, gosh, probably a dozen or so houses. Beyond showing them houses, we actually met with two or three builders. And you know how that is, Tucker. I mean, that's a two, three hour process. You meet, Mm -hmm. they see a piece of land, there's a builder attached. You set up an appointment, you meet with the builder. You know, I think at a couple of them, we met at varying locations. One of them had a house with land next to it. we, We met in the house. One of them was a Street of Dreams house from the year before in Lake Oswego. We met at that property, but My point is I spent about 40, 50 hours accumulatively with these guys. At one point, I showed them a house on Noss Road, an existing house, not brand new construction. I then almost wrote another offer on another. I normally really, I'm very adamant that I get a buyer into a buyer's agreement. You know, it can vary in timing, but always definitely when we're writing an offer, sometimes based on, you know, our relationship. I like to work with them a little bit and say, hey, if it feels like a good fit, let's officialize our relationship and here's what I'm going to commit to you in return. You know, I'm, I'd like your commitment that you're going to work with me and, and I'm going to help you with anything you see out there. I didn't quite do that with these clients. I had a high level of trust, to be fair. I mean, we had a really good working relationship. They kind of went dark on me for a while and then I followed up with them a couple of times, didn't hear anything. About six months later, they emailed me. And they said just and they were very complimentary. We enjoyed working with you. Very professional. Just want to let you know that we ended up meeting with a builder who we were going to build with. And then he introduced us to his realtor. And ultimately, that realtor helped us buy an existing home. Well, I kind mm-hmm. of poked around a little bit, Tucker. I, think I would, too. What's that? <laughs> I would do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I looked up tax records, and I looked up their last name, their unique last name. I, I found them, and lo and behold, they bought one of the houses I'd shown them, that one on Noss Road that was existing, oh. and it was incredibly frustrating. I didn't have, an, a, have them in a buyer's agreement. There was nothing I could do. Yeah. I was definitely the procuring cause on that house. Very, very frustrating, unfortunate circumstance, so there was the negative story, and you know, the pro and reason to, to have a a good buyer's agreement in place. Another one recently that was a positive story was we were working with a buyer and we did have him in a buyer's agreement. He emailed us, he said, hey, I'm really interested in this house. I'd like to see it today. One of our showing agents goes out to the house and the lockbox doesn't work. She's at the house, she's trying to use the lockbox, it's there, it doesn't work. We reach out to the listing agent, can't get him on the phone. We email him, can't get him on the phone. We leave the property. Next day, we're reaching out to the listing agent, trying to get them on the phone, trying to get the lockbox figured out. All of a sudden, the listing agent says, oh, it's working, like a day or two later. We then can't get the buyer on the phone. Mm. And we find out a couple days later, I think via the listing agent, and it was kind of a compilation. We kind of got suspicious because we saw it go pending, and all of a sudden, our buyer's not talking to us. We found out that the buyer out of frustration, no fault of our own, because we, we were communicating everything we could get, which was, Hey, the, the listing agents not getting back to us. Buyer reaches out directly to the listing agent, listing agent sets up a showing kind of a sleazy situation, but that's sounds whole that different.
0: way.
1: Yeah. And buyer likes it, writes an offer with the listing agent. We find out about this. We reach out to the listing agent. He's very, very dismissive and rude about the situation. I elevated I actually pulled Jeff wiring in on this one. He did an excellent job, by the way. And long story short, we finally, I mean, we, we made it clear, look, this is, you know, we, there's a buyer contract here. There's possibly an ethics violation as well because you knew there was an agency relationship. And ultimately, I got a referral fee, a, a nice, healthy referral fee on it. Rather than try to jump in and mess up the deal, we just said, look, here's what we want. And it came together. And And I do have multiple stories like that. What I love about buyer's agreements is they ultimately... Force a conversation of some sort, because in all my years of buyer's agreements, when, when a buyer is in one and then they go dark on you, when they're reminded that they're in a buyer's agreement, I've yet to ever have one not return a phone call or get back in touch with you. Even if it's not you know the, the wonderful resolution you want, it does at least give you that chance to say, what happened? Did we do something wrong? How could it have been better? How do we fix this? And a lot of times you can, sometimes you can't, a lot of times you get referral fees. So we talk about that in our credit hour series this month, and it's it's been pretty
0: interesting to do so. You know, that's an interesting topic for you to go on. We've had a lot of people over the last year, especially, you know, especially with our pre new construction, right? We list it before it's done and we'll have like an agent that reaches out to us, but maybe in between an agent reaching out to us at first and actually setting up a showing with us on a day that works because obviously we have subcontractors in the house and we don't want to just people gallivanting through on any given day we'll have their buyer reach out to us like 18 times to like try and get in and see the place right and so our standard protocol and you know we obviously do business better than some is hey if you have an agent which we know you do, right? Your situation, they likely knew that they had an agent as well. You reached out to him to get him in the house initially. We'll say, you know, you need to communicate through the agent if you have one. And that's the proper protocols. It's the proper channels. You know, just because I know what it's like to get screwed on the other end, right? You know, you put in the work, you show people stuff. And sometimes people's understanding of how this business works or just their overall business ethics are not good. And so they let themselves get the best of themselves sometimes and how they just do things. And it's just not the right way to go about things a lot of times. So, yeah, we, you know, I'm surprised that agent wasn't like, hey, well, were you working with so-and-so that, you know, tried to get a hold of me and get you in? It's just bad business. I mean, I, you know, I'm glad you guys got a referral fee, but at the end of the day, you know, it's folks like that, that you just, you really want to just punch in the face because they're just, they're running their business like crap. And, you know, you can't that reputation will follow you everywhere. So hopefully people learn from that and they don't run their business that way.
1: Actually, it's interesting that you say that, Tucker, because the builder and his agent, who are tightly in cahoots, I didn't really know a whole lot about them prior. They're not, you know, they're not somebody that's really well-known, but you may have heard of them. I won't say the name, but because I did some due diligence and some research and I got a little bit more information on, on exactly what happened. And it, it was a pretty, the one that I did get burned on it was a pretty egregious situation because it's it's hard to imagine that when they were shown that house for the second time, that they didn't let out somehow that they'd been there before and discuss their relationship with me. Because there was absolutely no grievances with our relationship. They just They got talked into, hey, you'll get a better deal if you go through my realtor when you build this house. And then that morphed into them seeing this house with that agent. But what goes around comes around. It's a really small industry. And about a year later, we were working with another high-end buyer that we're still working with. And that builder represented by that agent was on a lot. What's that lake out in Oregon City? Is it Beaver Lake
0: Community? Yeah, I don't, community? community? Are you familiar I know, with that? I know, what I know what you're talking about. I don't remember the name offhand. I
1: think but, yeah. it is. I think it is. But there was a lot on there. Represented by both of them, and my clients were kind of asking some questions about it. And I just said, and, you know, I, we we kind of reiterated, you know, we have a builder that we like and work closely with. It was actually Jeff Haggard for Custom mm-hmm. Building Homes, and so we were quickly able to take them away from that builder and, and bring in a builder that has a better reputation in that regard. So, you know, you might it's a small industry, and people have long memories of those horrific situations. And if people are running around doing stuff like that, it's just going to catch up with you. And, and ultimately, it'll cost you more in the long run than that little quick gain in the short term. So I totally agree.
0: I I remember <laughs> back when I was just a, a wee loan officer back in the day, and I had a conversation with an agent who remained nameless that's still in the business that told me that he didn't have time to talk with me because he made $300,000 last year. And I was, I was taking up valuable time when I just needed something important for the transaction. But I remember that, and that was 12 years ago, and I still think he's a dick. So, you know, there you go.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, I just looked up. It is Beaver Lake out in Oregon City. So on another note, we had another interesting experience. We had a transaction up in Vancouver where we found a house. We made an offer on it. We were in escrow, and then all of a sudden, and this kind of is weather-related. All of a sudden, we go to do inspections, and there's an active leak from the roof into the house. And it was incredibly frustrating because it was a situation where the mom was the seller. She's in her 80s. She's, I think she's in a care home. Son is sort of involved, but he's a bad combination of a jerk and busy.
0: That's <laughs> so a bad one. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so he's aloof and not very friendly in the process. And we were working diligently with a listing agent who was great on the transaction, but could not get communication And definitely not favorable communication out of her seller. And so a week went by with this active leak going on in the house. And and it was just, they wouldn't address it. They wouldn't get a remediation company out there. They were trying to take some shortcuts. They were dragging their feet. Son didn't really care too much for whatever reason. Don't ask me why. And so just recently, we terminated that one. But that was just a crazy transaction and a weird situation there. So there's a couple things going on on the agent side. Let's talk about the brokerage. I did a, a couple two classes in a row. I do a monthly sales advanced sales and marketing class here. We rent a large room that holds about 150 people. I did it, and we were packed out both days. One was on my listing presentation. It was on the, the phone call consultation, so when you get a new seller lead, right. I released word for word the script I use so that our agents would have kind of a frame of reference about what, what I say, how I vet the seller, you know, kind of the risk versus reward matrix with listings. It also went into our marketing and how to promote that on the phone. And then I also did a, another second presentation just this last Wednesday on the actual listing presentation. And again, it was a typed word for word script from entering the home, doing the grand tour with them, going through comps, and also then the, the marketing promotion and, and how we promote our marketing offerings and, and how that works. We took both those scripts, we put them in what we call here at Premier Property Group our broker toolkit which is a web-based file sharing service that we have with for all of our agents. We use Dropbox for that. So any one of our agents can go into the company Dropbox. There's an array of tools and scripts and services in there. And we added that and sent that out to everybody. So that's something recently that I did here. And by the way, any of our listeners, if they're interested in that, I'd be happy to email that out to them. So feel free to email me at steve at nasarteam.com. And I'd love to shoot you that as well if it's something you think you'd benefit from or would like to reference. And then recently, last week, we did a a suite at the Blazer game. It was the 76ers. It actually went into overtime, which is always kind of fun for those. Oh, I remember
0: the game. They lost because of a no-call on the out-of-bounds, yes. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So we had the biggest party suite there, the one that holds 100 people. We filled it. We had all of our people. We had a couple of our preferred partners there. It was an amazing evening. Everybody had a great time, and the game went into overtime. By the way, that was for our top producers. We have in our, in our company what we call our President's Circle. President Circle is agents within our company that have done over 10 million or 36 transactions, either or. We annually like to take them to a, a Blazer game. This is the second time in a row, the second year in a row where we've taken them, got a party suite, and done that. Two more things I've got, and then I'll let you talk about all your good stuff, Tucker. On our marketing platform, I know I've talked about that a lot here on the show where we talk about the ordering site where any of our agents can order anything they need for a listing. We've recently added two cool things that I'm excited about. We've added twilight shoots. So with photography, there's now a button they can click for twilight shoot for just a little bit more of that great photographers. We have a pool of photographers we're partnered with who are all fantastic they will go back out at dusk and do an amazing job. I recently did that in one of my listings. In fact, if anyone's curious the quality that we do, it's in the most recent issue of Luxury Home Magazine. It was on East Ridge. It's in there. If you look for that, you'll see some cool twilight shots there. And then speaking of Luxury Home Magazine, we've added that to our marketing platform. So now any of our agents who want to take their listing, obviously it would be a high-end listing, and put it in Luxury Home Magazine, can click one of two options. They can do a half page or a full page. And then along with the normal marketing that our marketing staff creates based on the photos and the description and everything that is provided and created on their behalf, they can design the ad for the luxury home magazine. Again, they can design a half page or full page. We've partnered with luxury home magazines so that we get preferred pricing with no multiple month commitment. Most agents who are familiar with Luxury Home Magazine, if you go outside of that, you have to contact Luxury Home yourself, and they usually require at least a two-issue commitment, and their prices are higher than what we've negotiated. We're about 300 bucks per ad cheaper here in-house because of our long-term commitment and bulk commitment as well. So we create the ad on behalf of our agent. We send it to them to approve. Then we seamlessly send it over to Luxury Home Magazine. And the last thing I'll say about that that's really cool is we also offer our agents the ability to defer payment until the closing of the listing. So they can do that as far out as six months, which on those luxury homes can oftentimes take a little bit longer. So for just a tiny added fee for the company floating them, a small percentage, they cannot have to pay The luxury home ad or any of the other marketing, which, as you can imagine, the luxury home ads are are fairly expensive in general, can get up there into the thousands of dollars. So that's really great. It's, It's a way for our agents to absolutely get great listings, market it to the fullest extent possible through our platform, and then not have to worry about payment immediately. They can get the money back when they close it and therefore put their best foot forward for their sellers. So that's all I have, Tucker. I know it wasn't much, but...
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just a just a little bit, right? I mean, it's been a while. So
1: a now you got to talk for a while.
0: Go. Okay. I'll talk for a little bit. God, we've had a lot going on this week. It's been a crazy busy week for us, but we were shooting our pilot show for the first three days of the... Well, three and a half days of this week. Production company flew in on Sunday and they left at the end of the day Wednesday and we did a whole ton of shooting, which, you know, it's it's one thing to think about doing a show. It's another thing to actually go through the motions of what it takes to do it. It's it's pretty wild. I mean, it it takes a lot. Each day, I was surprisingly exhausted at the end of the day from you know trying to keep the business going at the same time and deal with the things that have to be dealt with, but also make sure that we're doing all the shooting that needs to be done since they flew an entire crew up here. What was kind of cool is one of the guys that they flew up here, one of the camera guys, he was on Deadliest Catch for a number of years. So he was one of the camera guys out on the boat, so I got a lot of cool stories from him about you know being on the boat. Bottom line is he said it sucked real bad being the camera <laughs> guy on a, on a boat.
1: I, can't, I wasn't Beach. thinking otherwise, just to be clear.
0: Yeah, well, I didn't think anybody was, but just to, <laughs> to clarify. And then he also has shot a lot of shows with Mike Rowe, additional stuff. So he had some funny stories about that. He shot some shows with Guy Fieri, you know, which from what I hear, maybe he's not the nicest guy off camera. I don't know. what's speculation, we'll call it. But it's funny to hear these shows that. You know, or the, about these you know, shows that other people work on from a little different perspective. So, you know, we shot a whole bunch of stuff. We actually were able to take one of the camera guys with us on an appointment live. Like, you know, I'd never met these people before and we walked through their property and checked it out. And you don't know how that's going to go a lot of times when you ask people if you can do that, right? I mean, it's kind of intrusive and weird and, you know, I they think might it's the
1: camera. I've always wondered, you watch like these reality shows, you know, the, the, the home flipping ones and stuff or like Million Dollar Listing Engine. I've I've, I've kind of often wondered, Obviously there's a cameraman watching them. How big, is it a big one of those like 1980s looking camcorder things? Is it? (laughs) So
0: most of what we shot was with one of those big 1980s looking camcorder things, right? But I told him for the seller appointment, we needed to really slim that down and kind of MacGyver this thing a little more to make everybody feel comfortable. And so we use this cool camera, it's called an Osmo, which is basically a little handheld thing that you put your cell phone on and it's almost like a little GoPro. And Mm -hmm. then we just put mics on us. So in case we're not directional exactly facing it, it still gets all of our audio. So it worked out really well. It was a little less intrusive, but the gal we met with was actually a electrical inspector for the city of Portland. And it's a rental property that she's had for a number of years that had an additional lot attached to it. And so she was like all about it. It was kind of funny. Like she, you know, most people might clam up and feel weird, but she almost like wanted to, you know, be the star of the show almost. So it worked out pretty well. And it did was you real. ask
1: permission before you showed up, Tucker?
0: Yeah, we did. We called yep. her and said, okay, "Hey, man. we're shooting a show." You know, some people, like I said before, you know, they're probably like, "No, no, 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 I want nothing to do with that." And you know, fortunately, we got the minority in her saying that she was all about, you know, fine with it. And then when we showed up, she was all about it, so it worked out really well. I mean, the whole basis of the show is that it's it's real, right? As opposed to a lot of real estate reality shows are not reality, they're, they're scripted situationally and, and scene-wise and everything else. And so for us, what would make it different and what I think makes it really cool is that we go through all the motions that we have to go through in a normal week of running the business, we just catch it on camera and then we frame the parts of those interactions that are, you know, somebody would be entertained by watching and, and also educated at the same time. So, you know, it was really cool. I'm, I've got high hopes for what we can do with it. Been a long time coming because I mean, we could have done TV eight times over or more at this point if we wanted to be your traditional HGTV, you know, type show, but it's just not who we are. It's not what we do. And I felt like there's a lot of white space out there for real estate shows to do something that we do. And, you know, most people that get cast for these kind of things are dealist actors first, real estate whatever second, you know. So the real estate business, they just got, they prop that up so that it makes it look like they're an expert. But the reality is they're not. So I think TV land is ready for somebody who, you know, actually has a real real estate business, has people that actually work for them and come to work every day and that, you know, do what we do, which is, you know, we're in the real estate trenches each and every day. So bottom line is we had about three and a half days of shooting and I think it turned out great. So we'll see where it goes, but we've got three different networks that are pretty hot to trot on it. And, you know, as we get farther along, I'll, I'll let you know.
1: Yeah. A couple quick questions for you. So the production company flew into town. Are they from Southern California?
0: They're from Sacramento.
1: Sacramento. And do they have to fly into town then every episode, or do you do group a few together? Like they come into town for a week, and then you make four episodes out of that. Is that kind of the model?
0: Yeah. What'll probably happen is they'll be in town like a week, a month, basically, because you gotta show progress too, right? I mean, and there's gotta be different dynamics at play, which different transactions and deals and things. It takes time for those things to, you know, turn into what they are. So likely scenario is probably a week a month that they'll be in town shooting and then we'll get three weeks off and not have to have them following us around and then they'll come back. So, but you know, it all kind of comes together in total once we ink with the network, as far as, you know, how many episodes they want, whether or not they'll continue to give us complete creative control on what we're doing. So all those things are factors that, you know, are important to us and you know, we've got to see what's what's offered at that point and figure out what's right for us. But
1: yeah, So from here, they throw together like what a few pilot episodes and then they shop those to some networks like, Hey, this is our idea. This is the concept. What do you think? And then somebody picks it up or.
0: Yeah, basically they've already got three that they know who I am. They know what we do. They're very interested. So this is just kind of the formality part of, okay, this is what this looks like on camera, right? And so they then give it the sniff test via watching the pilot that they created and you know, from there. Some executive makes a decision on a new show. The problem is, is with anytime they go into new show land, right, it's considered a risk in TV world because if you do, that's why you see so many copycat shows, because if if you copy an existing show that's had success, if it doesn't have success, you can blame casting, right? They cast the wrong guy. So it's his fault because the other show worked. Anytime you go into the white space and you produce a new show, it's a double edged sword because new shows are always the biggest hits, right? But at the same time, if it's not a hit, then you can't point the finger, right? Because somebody greenlit the new idea and the new show. And so it's kind of a way to pass the buck and defer blame to just copycat stuff. And so that's why there's so many real estate copycat shows. We don't want to do a copycat show. We want to be the the first in kind of the white space of where I think shows could be and, and do really, really well. But we've got to find a network, you know, executive that understands the business well enough to know that there is a white space there that's been untapped and it could be a big hit. So
1: cool. No, it sounds great. Keep us posted. Absolutely.
0: Pretty cool. Other than that, you know, this is a market action report show. I'll kind of relate it to what we've seen in our business here. Market seems pretty hot still. You know, we put a house on the market in in FOPO, took about seven or eight days. And, you know, we got, we actually had a buyer that came directly to us and, you know, we're going to be closing here very shortly. So, you know, and we got pretty much what we were asking for it. So, you know, even with the weather, things are hot, hot, hot. We've got one of our townhomes that we're finishing up this week that's set to close to a cash buyer next week. Is that uh, Tom
1: Wilser's deal?
0: Yeah, it is. And so it's, the weather's been a big pain in our, you know what, because we got to paint the thing, right? And it's hard to paint when you get 26 days of rain in a row on the yeah, outside. It's... So it's been a little challenging with that and some city things, but, you know, we're, and then we're breaking ground on on my new place. We've got a two lot partition off Upper Drive that we're finalizing. We're finally going to build our Lake View house. We got the new storm system designed and submitted to the railroad because we've got to go off the back of the hill and under the railroad. Some you know technical stuff there that nobody probably cares about, but now you do. Now you know. But it's going to be an amazing Lake View house that looks over you know panoramic view of all Lake Oswego. So we've got we got a lot going on. We got a few little rehabs going in southeast, and it's just you know kind of going gangbusters right now.
1: One of your properties, Tucker, showed up as a comp in one of my listing appointments
0: recently. Foster Powell area. Okay. One on Raymond or which one? Do
1: you have a few over there?
0: Yeah, we've done a few. Was it, what were you comping? A nice house or not uh, not a nice house?
1: 400 grand.
0: Okay. The one that we're selling right now is just under 500.
1: That was probably it. That was probably it. Yeah. And so I was going through some comps over there and I saw, and I was like, oh, this looks like a, it's a rehab, right? Yep. Yeah. And I started looking through it and sure enough, there was TTM development. So I talked a little bit about, you know, I said, yeah, this is a good property. These guys do good work. So we comped it accordingly in that regards. And yeah, it helped in
0: getting that listing. So Oh, there cool. you go. Glad so to could be helped without knowing I was helping. So <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So that's, you know, that's kind of what's going on with me, but maybe we segue into market action report and maybe start off and let our, our listeners know what your thoughts are on the on the latest report that came out this past week.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I just want to, I just want to reiterate kind of what we touched on. I mean, this is my, I don't know that I have data. I think February confirms this somewhat, but it just feels personally to me as if we've had a rough six month stretch. It started, if you remember, with that pre-election time period that was kind of polarizing where everybody was just kind of sitting on their hands like what the heck is going on here you know let's just sit back and watch how this plays out you talked about how you thought that was going to you know morph into the holiday season and and I think we definitely felt and noticed that and then what we didn't expect and what we didn't know was going to happen was and part of this was during the holiday season was just the weather events that then exacerbated that whole process so starting around mid December we got you know the first snow scare then another and they were all about a week or two apart all the way well into January February and so it just feels to me i mean i've felt it in my personal business i've seen it within our company we had a few weeks in February where we we sent you know one of our bookkeeping staff members home early several days in a row because we went from the normal, you know, I think on a normal day, we're processing 50, 60 plus checks from closing. We dropped down into the single digits for a few weeks there in February. Because I mean, if you go 45, 60 days back, we were in the middle of the holidays and snowmageddon. So there just wasn't a lot of offers being written and there wasn't a lot of homes being shown. And then I felt that in my personal business as well. So the good news is I feel momentum under our feet now, I feel traction happening. We talked a little bit about how you know even even coming out of February, it was still just just rain upon rain upon rain week after week, relentlessly and I've got a couple view properties, and that's just brutal on these view properties. I even went to a listing appointment this last week up in the skyline Northwest Portland area and Nice house, you know, go to the listing appointment and we're talking about, you know, a different listing I have nearby and the views from it. And they said, oh, we've got gorgeous views here, too. I'm like, really, you do? I mean, I'm just looking at just just muck and fog and miserable weather and those view properties that you live and die by the view you have. I mean, on a good day, you've got these massive windows with gorgeous views that are your focal point. On a terrible day, you've got these massive windows with gray in them. <laughs> and and, and <laughs> True. True. <laughs> yeah, so I felt it on some of those, especially, but I've got another one in Lake Oswego on East Ridge that we experienced that as well. So back to my point, it feels like it's just been a, a miserable four to six months of, you know, election cycle, holidays, and bad weather all intertwined. And it is behind us now. I think finally, I can say that I'm feeling the political climate quite a bit lower. I think normalcy has set in there. Obviously, the holidays are definitely behind us. And I think the weather is, too. It's kind of funny because even as recently as a week and a half ago, we had a sort of snow scare. Do you remember that? I mean, it was just just here not that long ago. And then, obviously, the weather seems to—we've had a few clear days now, and and it feels like we're going to have some more of that. So— To what my point is here, February's numbers were bad. They were definitely bad, and, and I'm not surprised at all. We were down significantly from the previous February. Pending sales showed a decrease in year over year. So same month, February 17 is February 16 was down 15%. That's a lot. That's a big number. New listings were down. Closed sales were down. 7.9% from the previous February. So it just wasn't, the the market hasn't been able to, through February anyway, it hadn't been able to get those legs underneath it in that recovery. I think we're going to be good for a few months though, Tucker, for a few reasons. I think one, when you have four or six months like that, you've got some pent up demand and that's a good thing. I think you've got dozens and hundreds and you know maybe even thousands of people in our area that have been wanting to do something for some time and just haven't been able to make it materialize due to some of these extenuating circumstances. So it feels like they're coming out in full force together. And I think that will be good for us. I think it'll be a, a nice recovery for the next four or five months as we put that behind us. I think people are also very in tune to interest rates and the chatter about them going up and i think that is going to spur activity for the near term for sure and they're going to get out there and try to lock in a rate before they get much worse and they are worse by the way i think they're easily a percent higher than they were 6 months ago and that does not seem to be changing i think that's going to continue so yeah that's some of my thoughts what do you think
0: well i think that i think you're right in terms of overall You know, the market just kind of has had this wet blanket on it, we'll say, for a while. But even so, you know, inventory numbers for February were at 1.9 months, which were essentially the same as they were a year ago in 2016, even though pending sales are down 15% to that same time, right? So kind of a weird anomaly. Inventory is, I don't know if inventory in the ones is the new normal, just sort of like interest rates being at, you know, super, super low rates is the new normal, because, you know four years ago, if we said we had 1.9 months inventory, we would have been like, whoo-wee, man, it is hot out here, you know? But it's been hovering in the ones essentially since the beginning of 2016, with the exception of, you know, a couple months that just barely hit two, you know, we've had inventory with a one in front of it. So, you know, historically anything with a one in front of it is just a bananas market. So, you know, I don't know. It's tough to say. I think that you're right. You know, Nobody likes to move during the holidays. Nobody likes to go out and look at houses, you know, retail houses when it's raining and nasty out. It just kind of, it slows people down, you know, it really does. And it's amazing. You know, it goes back to my comment of when you wake up in the morning and you see that blue sky, it's like all of a sudden you're you're invigorated to do so much more than you would be otherwise. And I think that plays into, you know, people going out and look at houses and actually making the decision to, you know, move or, or buy a house or, you know, well, they got to move if they're going to buy a house, period. So, you know, it's all, it's all that action that they have to have motivation to do. So, you know, I think the market will pick up as we head into spring here. I also think inventory might pick up though. So, you know, I don't know if we're at the tipping point yet. I said it last year and I was wrong, but I can't imagine that we go this entire year without inventory, you know, ticking up on us a little bit. But the other thing that is a little concerning to me is, you know, our year over year price gains were, you know, anywhere between 12.1 and 12.9%, depending on which, you know, metric you choose to recognize. And that's an unsustainable number, you know? So I think that we're going to feel a little bit of flattening pressure on prices. You know, you can't have a, a 13% gain year and an 8% gain year and not have it be something that's too high, in my opinion, in that short period of time. There's obviously other factors at play that, that help create that. But, you know, I think that, I don't know, coming off the heels of last year, hopefully, you know, we've talked about it before. It's kind of a seesaw or like a, a backward stair step, right? Sellers get a little greedy and then they come back down to reality and then, you know, the market sells for what the market sells for. It's going to be interesting to see what our year over year is this year. I, I would imagine that, you know, prices will flatten a little bit as we continue into the year but i think that there will also be a fair bit of buying activity so hopefully we hit a nice plateau this year in terms of you know prices but also you know it continues to sustain a fair bit of buying activity as well
1: yeah and did you notice too tucker that the average sales price is now over 400,000 i mean and we feel that we feel that now when we're getting leads and and we get a lot of online leads we work closely with zillow we got a lot of leads coming through there when they're telling us they want to be under 400,000 and they're looking for a detached house on the West side, we're just not excited. I mean, you know, we'll case by case. I mean, we'll try to do what we can, but we know it's going to be a battle axe price point. It's going to be a grind. It's going to be tough. Obviously there are some pockets on the West side. If you get into like a or, you know, some other areas you can make it happen, but we also know there's a lot of places that you're not going to. So that's definitely, you know, that's way up there. Even just four or five years ago, I remember that's how I felt about like 250 for detached. Right. Sounds crazy to say it, but it wasn't that long ago that people would call and they'd be like, hey, I'm looking for 250. And you'd be like, okay, you know, it's gonna be tough, but we can make it happen for a detached house on the West side. Then that was like 300, you know, maybe that was about three years ago. And then I think I even talked about it in the last couple of years on the show. I said the same conversation about 350. You know, oh, people call us. They're under three hundred and fifty, or at, they're at three hundred and fifty, detached on the west side, and it's starting to get tough out there. Well, now that's four hundred. So these are real changes in valuation and pricing for detached homes. I'm mostly talking the west side in the last four or five years. So that's that's pretty that's pretty crazy. We're also starting to hear. And this kind of goes back to the company. We're talking to a few agents in Salem. We don't currently have a branch office in Salem, but we are looking to go there. And we're hearing from some of the agents we're talking to who we're hoping to partner with and start to build a leadership team around down there that that market is feeling this because a lot more people are going, you know what? I can't live in Portland. I've got 300 grand to spend and I can get a pretty decent house in Salem and you know, whether if they work in Wilsonville or Tualatin or or maybe they work from home, whatever the case, they're willing to do that commute. And it's really a straight shot down the freeway of about 40, 45 minutes with very little traffic, by the way, between Salem and Portland. Once you get past Wilsonville, traffic is pretty light at most times of the day. So it'll be interesting to watch the Salem market. And, and I I'm hoping that we have a presence there that lets us watch it really closely here within the next year or so. Cause yeah, I mean, we're, our price points are are starting to get pretty far up there and it's starting to price people out from average incomes, average household
0: incomes. Yeah. And I think that goes back to my plateau comment. I think we're, we're at that point where, you know, I just, I don't see us advancing much farther over the course of this year, but you know, we'll see. I've been wrong before. So if I had a crystal ball, i Probably wouldn't be on this podcast with you. So, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, you'd be on a TV show on CNBC. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's that's true. We'll see. That hey, might and so
1: to your point, Tucker, especially with interest rates on the rise, I mean, as home prices go up and if interest rates are going up simultaneously, that's a double whammy. That's a huge double whammy. So, you know, every three months or every quarter that goes by. If home prices go up, you know, say three four percent, interest rates go up a quarter percent. That's just brutal. And I'm with you. I mean, I think I think we're. I've been saying this for about. I think I've been saying it for about a. It'll be a year this summer. I, I really felt like we were getting to a point last summer where you know the end had to be in sight. We were due for you know a slowdown, and I, I still feel that. And I, and I think I think some point in this year we'll be talking about how that that has you know, started to materialize. As I said before at the start of the show, we have some pinup up demand now. And I think we have some urgency because of interest rates rising and and that element causing people to spur into action. It feels maybe like that should last us through the summer. Mm -hmm. And then it'll be interesting to see what the fall and winter look like as maybe, you know, all those people who were due to buy and, and maybe for the last four or six months haven't been able to because of some of the conditions we talked about. They jumped into the market. They made some stuff happen. And then we kind of get to where all that pent-up demand is, has been spent. And you know all those people who are rushing to get a locked interest rate have done so. And, and maybe there's that's where we start to see a little bit of a cool off. We'll see.
0: That's Either. my big question, Mark, is once we get past August, what does yeah, the market yeah. look like? I think I'm pretty confident where we'll be to that point, but after that, you know, it's a bit of a question mark in my mind at this point. But time will tell, as it always. Yeah, goes. yeah. So. Cool. Well, I think we covered quite a bit of stuff, you know, in terms of business market action report and St. Patty's Day. So we can probably put a bookend on this one. But any last parting words of wisdom for our audience before we leave them here this week?
1: No, no. If you're in your 20s, have fun on St. Patty's Day. Even though you're going to probably hear this long after, so maybe you're still in your hangover. If you're in your 30s and above or 40s and above, whatever the case, then have a good weekend.
0: <laughs> yeah. Having two kids under two, St. Patty's Day has a whole different meaning, which is not much. So, you know, <laughs> that's, that's the world I live in these days, folks. So, all right. Well, this is episode 61 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We're signing off. We'll see you guys on the next one.